Alright boys and girls, episode 98 with Lee Peel is about to start, and this is part 2, as I interviewed her a couple months back, so if you missed the first part of this interview, I will post it in the show notes, so make sure if you are looking on your iTunes podcast, or your Google Play, or SoundCloud, or whatever app you use for your podcast, click the more symbol to see all the show notes because I had someone reach out to me and said hey there was no links but we figured that they did not click more and that's where it is and we get into a lot of great stuff in this episode and we talk about my coffee addiction we talk about drugs we talk about all the different questions we got off Facebook and Instagram and it's just jam-packed with a lot of great information so here we go Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the legend, Lee Peel. Say hello. Hello. I love it when I get called a legend. You are a legend. Like, come on. <laughs> I just said it's a really nice word for old. <laughs> it's a nice word for old. You're not old. I tell everybody, nice like, if you, if you say you're old, like, you need to at least be 80 or above, like... That's my rule. <laughs> oh no, I know. I, I'm I'm actually quite spry. So I'm still I'm still in, still in that zone. But for the internet, really anything over a month on the internet is considered kind of old. So I've been so. around over ten years on the internet. So that makes me really legendary status. Nice. Um, so what do you got planned for the weekend? Are you ready for Christmas? Oh, I am so ready for Christmas. Um, I formed an agreement with all those around me that I would do all the shopping. And that I would basically pay for everything and buy everything as long as I didn't have to wrap it anything. Because I'm one, I'm not I'm not great at wrapping anyway. I'm okay with it. Um, it's not tragic. There's not like tape sticking out everywhere. But it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, so, yeah, I'm more of a bag gifter, even though I like the way it looks. Um, so uh, I I made an agreement. Everyone that's kind of like not getting a present from somebody else is wrapping all of my presents. That's part of my present. So that's awesome. So I've, I've technically bought all the gifts um, and and they're doing all the wrapping and that's great. And um, I'm a notorious over gifter um, because I don't know, um, I have acceptance issues and low self-esteem. And uh, so I, I'm, I got a lot of gifts and I, I really love seeing people get gifts and that's going to be really fun. So I'm doing that. Um, I'm finishing Stranger Things and I've been lucky nice. enough to be mildly spoiled on a few things, but not too badly. Um, so the pivotal, apparently seventh episode is coming. I don't know what that means. Um <laughs> But I will. Um, so I'm finishing Stranger Things up and and just hanging out. There's like Christmas events, you know, Christmas uh, get-togethers or whatnot. People come into town, people leave town, all that kind of stuff. And um, technically, I think the festivities will probably not be over until New Year's like day or the day after. So that's just kind of how it rolls in my neck of the woods. But so it should be fun. It should be fun. Just friends, food, um, copious amounts of alcohol. Nice. Um, to, to dull the pain and, um, and lots of gifts and lots of Netflixing and, and various other, uh, TV streaming programs that, um, still have not died thanks to the net neutral laws, but we'll see <laughs> what happens. <laughs> so now a more serious question, favorite okay. Christmas movie. Oh, oh, yeah. oh dude. Okay. <laughs> um, 
I really love, I, I, I go a little outside of the box. There's like, okay, the emotionally favorite, like actually gets to be emotionally too, which is Emmett Otter and a Jug Band Christmas, um, which is not something that a lot of people know. And the Snowman, which is something that not a lot of people know. Um, they're, they're two kind of more lesser known ones. So those are, they're, they're the ones that get to me emotionally that I'm like emotionally like, Oh God, I love these. And I always kind of get like a little verklempt, um, from it. Um, but fun enjoyment wise, I'm not going to lie. I know it's kind of cliche, but I really do like watching Die Hard at Christmas. Nice. Um, it's fun. It just is. I, I think just friends is heavily underrated. Uh, yes. there's a lot of really good <laughs> lines in that movie. Um, I quote it, Throughout the year, but I, I only watch it during this time of year. Um, I appreciate that one. I don't see that one talked about a lot. Um, I mean, honestly, I love Christmas movies. I like watching the bad ones, like the really bad ones, like the Hallmark ones. I mean, not in an in a ironic way. I like watching them. Um, you know, there's nothing like getting a little drunk on some cider and, and putting in a really, really, really bad Hallmark Christmas movie. It rules. So... Um, I, I just enjoy Christmas movies, period. But those are those are kind of I know I'm missing some, but those are the ones that are kind of popping in my head right now. Um, I really like ones that aren't official Christmas movies. Like I'll find an excuse to put in Rudy almost any time of the year too. It snows. There's a Christmas tree in the movie that counts. True, yeah. So um, I I will do that as well um, to try to try to watch anything. Yeah. No, one of my favorites is the Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn. Like. We do own that as well. Yes. Um, Google me bitch is one of my favorite lines of all time uh, in a movie. You know, I really love Google me bitch and his family is wretched. It's awesome. (laughs) So good. Um, So let's, yeah, let's switch gears and get into some questions because we could probably talk about all random stuff all hour, but um, we could. Yeah. I want to bring up coffee because I haven't really had someone, answer this for me they haven't like given me like a answer where i'm like okay i get that i'm gonna so, give you specifics yeah i, I want to know so for all the audience out there i'm a huge coffee fanatic like i drink it black i could have eight cups per day i don't feel any jitters i could have it at 10 p.m and go to sleep within 30 minutes um on another note i had a weird experience where I went, I think I went to go see Dunkirk in the movie theater. <laughs> okay. And so it just like, have you ever seen that movie? Oh, um, I haven't seen it yet. I obviously, I know the story. Okay. I know his, the historical story, but I haven't seen the actual movie yet. No. So like, keep in mind, like the way they filmed it is very like, almost like first person. And then when are in their airplanes shooting at each other? Like you, the screen follows you as you're like in the pilot. It seems seat. very video game-ish from yeah. what I saw with the previews. Okay. So that's correct. All so, right. and then like right before the movie, I had a quad shot Americano. Like I usually do from Starbucks. And then like during the movie, it was so weird. Like I was like having cold sweats. I was like dizzy, nauseous. I was like, holy shit. I think I'm like either having a stroke or the movie's making me (laughs) nauseous and I need to leave. Like I was so close of leaving, but I was in like an IMAX theater right in the middle. Uh, You know, that's probably what did it there. That's probably what did it because um, I actually, I can't watch some of those movies, especially in an IMAX. I can't watch some of those movies at movie theaters because I get really, I have, I have inner air disorders. I get very, very disoriented. And what you're describing sounds a lot like, well, a motion disneyness or, or inner ear disturbance. 
So that's probably, do you get sensitive to like roller coasters or spinning or anything like that? No, not at all. That was like the first time that's ever happened to me. Cause I was like mm. in that exact same theater for like one of the Star it Wars didn't films have a problem? and nothing. And I was like, what the hell is going on with me? <laughs> but, uh, um, was it like a severe increase of caffeine that you had or just like a normal, like it just your normal stuff? It's my normal. Like it was my first just one normal. of the day. Yeah. It was yeah, weird. I don't know. I don't know. You know, could have just been dehydrated and it all came together in a bad way. But Maybe. that is weird if you don't have it normally. I have it all the time. Like, I'm a little wimp when it comes to that kind of stuff. I get car sick. Like, I have to drive. We just went up to the mountains. I had to do as much of the driving as possible because if I'm not in control of it, I will get sick. And it'll start to follow me. I didn't used to be that way. It kicked in somewhere in my early 20s. It kicked in and was never the same sense. And it just keeps increasing with the years that come, which is, you know, that's fun. Um, but huh. Well, let's talk about your caffeine though. So you have like 10 cups a day. You said like I can have 10 cups a day, but I usually average around like four to six per day. Okay. Well, um, you know, different, it's hard to gauge. They, they try to gauge just how much dosage we uptake from coffee versus like pure caffeine dosages, right? So a lot of the studies and research that we look at with caffeine, um, a lot of the stuff that tests for, they, they do tests for optimizations of recovery, of strength, and all these kinds of things, negative side effects as well. They do it in mice, they do it in humans. Um, they give ridiculous amounts to mice. Um, so, so some of the studies that you see that can be negative, one, you have to make sure that it's a, a human study and not a m- mouse study because they're very different. Um, but uh, the ones that we see in humans, a lot of the doses just kind of range from uh, three milligrams per uh, body weight in kilograms uh, to upwards to six or seven uh, milligrams and body weight in kilograms, <laughs> making sure to say kilograms and not just regular because that's a different thing. And so they, they they try to come out with like, okay, so what's an optimum dose versus what, like, what a lethal do- dose is. And so from what I have seen, and obviously this is going to vary based upon weight and whatnot um, and family history, heart problems or associations and all of the variables, you most people would have to drink somewhere between like 25 cups of like a strong Americana if we're, if we're talking to you ever, uh, to get towards the lethal dose range, um, of, of a caffeine intake, um, optimal dose for health, um, is, is sometimes, and of course this depends on not having any sort of health issues, but usually lands land somewhere between 300 to 400, or milligrams, um, you don't really, they say you don't really want to go much above that or what have you. And so you're like, okay, well, how much is in an actual cup of coffee? Well, uh, that we actually uptake and how much at a time, because uh, caffeine is one of those half-life drugs, meaning that you only get like four hours of like active, you know, and then the rest of it is is metabolized and like excessed from or uh, excreted from your body. So, um, it kind of varies. You know, they say some coffees have 70 milligrams. Uh, some can have even less. Uh, some can have more. It really does depend on how strong the coffee is, how strong the brewer is, and how much you uptake it. So, you know, if you're doing four cups or six cups a day, some would say, oh, my God, you're getting like 
600 milligrams because each cup of coffee has about 100 milligrams. It doesn't necessarily have that. And that's like an eight full ounce cup. You have to like really have a really, really, really strong brew. So you're probably getting somewhere around 300 to 400 milligrams maybe if that's like your kind of normal thing on like a normal day, maybe an upwards to like a 600. Basically, that's not technically, unless you're in an art condition, anywhere near a lethal dose, but it is a dependent dose. Um, You have no more acute effects of it. You have what they call a tolerance effect of it, which just basically helps aid you to not fall asleep. (laughs) You're not going to get any of the like stimulant effects from it really anymore. You're what they call it. Just you're at a tolerance dose. So you, you drink it to not have the negative effects of withdrawal versus drinking it to have a lot of the positive effects of a stimulant. Um, It doesn't mean that you're not going to have any sort of like positive effects um, in other metabolic ways. Like it can still increase metabolic rate. Um, It's still going to contribute to all those kinds of things, increase to your daily NEAT, uh, your subconscious activity that takes place. Um, And if you wanted to cycle it, you can. um, But for you, it would take quite a while. You'd probably have to not use it or wean it for a month and then, you know, go back and forth. But that's really not necessary unless someone really wants the acute effects of it, Um, like that kind of boom, you know. You don't get jitters anymore. It's kind of like nicotine. It's a very similar effect. Um, Those that first start smoking, they feel nauseous and jittery, and they actually feel the effect of the cigarettes. And then, you know, people get to the point where they're just like, I could chain smoke right before bed, and like, boom, not a thing. So that's, I mean, it's 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 literally almost the identical um, effect of that kind of a thing. I personally am the same way with stimulants, um, be it caffeine, nicotine, um, any other ones in my past. Uh, I can do them all day long. I can do them before bed. It doesn't really affect me negatively that way. There's a lot of research that correlates with those who have undiagnosed ADHD or ADD um, having those kind of effects with caffeine and stimulants and things like that in which that we have a tendency to self-simulate or self-medicate with whatever we can find to help us focus or to help us uh, be kind of uh, more balanced throughout the day. I don't know how much that's true um, because it's more of an anecdotal versus a pro- proven thing yet. But yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. And that's kind of the limits, quote unquote, safe uh, levels of intake or what have you. Um, There's a lot of people that think any intake level is not healthy and you really just have to base it with your doctor, your family history, and if you have any sort of heart or health conditions. But that's what we usually see. There's a lot of really interesting research on caffeine. It's it's a very fascinating drug. Uh, It's actually really interesting and fascinating in the realm of the strength and fitness industry um, or also fat loss. So there's a lot of areas you can dive into it and go. That is hopefully a good base coverage. Yeah. 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 yeah like, okay. um, I'm interested. Like, it's interesting you said about the month thing because maybe I think I did this maybe three years ago during the time where I was waking up Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. to train clients at 6. And I always had like my morning coffee. And my clients are noticing like how much I was drinking. They're like, oh, you know, if you go off it for a month, you're going to feel like complete shit and your body's going to like detox and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'll take that bet. So I went off coffee for a month, felt exactly the same. Like, okay, nothing changed. And I'm like, well, that was a waste of <laughs> not drinking coffee. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And like, even if I take like a pre-workout supplement, don't get anything from it. I've tried pure ephedrine, still nothing. And then when I used to work at a big box gym, they had one of those juice bars. So I had like super pump and like 
a B complex, anephedrine crushed into there, mixed it up, and like still nothing. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, you 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 must have a, a very different kind of neural activity that's going on, um, and different kind of like receptors uh, responding to it. Um, everyone does. I personally have. It's like a. I don't really have caffeine withdrawal per se. Uh, like I don't get any headaches. I don't get any sort of issues. Um, I just like using it when I have it. Uh, if that makes sense. It's like, I feel it's, I feel more simulated or awake or I wake up faster with it. I don't really notice anything though. I just, I like the actual act of having it, but when I've had it in my life or not had it in my life, because there's been times that I've taken it in and out just to test things. Um, I didn't really notice much of a difference, but I will say I do not hit it as hard, uh, a high of a level as that you have. Now I do notice the, uh, the, the pills. Um, I stupidly, when I was a kid decided that I would take a bunch of nodos and because basically when I was a kid, it was like drugs. No, yeah, I'll try it all. And, um, so I, I took a lot of nodos when I was a kid and, um, you don't take a lot of those. Uh, I don't know whether or not it's for caffeine or just complete ruining of stomach lining, but I learned very quickly that I did not like an excessive amount of, uh, pill form caffeine stimulants, at least in that. Um, so I, I've noticed those, I've noticed the kind of more pill effect ones, but I've never really noticed much from caffeine, but I also was a heavy smoker when I was younger too. So to me, nothing kind of tops that. I mean, I did like two packs a day when I was a kid. I was like, Jeez. whatever. Yeah, no. And I would do it right before bed. Like I wouldn't even just be like, Oh, I, I can't sleep unless I have this stimulant cigarette. Now the withdrawal of that I noticed, but that's an entirely different thing. So, you know, different people have different they break it down faster. They have less serotonin effects or dopamine effects and, or it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't really affect them on different levels. Yeah. You should really read, um, there's some really good research on it that comes out of, um, I think I read a good thing from McGill actually, which is okay. somewhat generic, but it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how the receptors, how they bind things at, at what rate it, you know, it, it metabolizes and get out and, and gets out of you and, and how it binds with those kind of like receptors. But Honestly, if you're not having any sort of negative side effects, if you're not having any sort of negative repercussions from it, it seems like you're a good responder or even a non-responder. How do you do on creatine? Uh, fine. Like, I don't notice anything. You don't notice anything. No. And then yeah. when I went off it, I was like, I don't feel any different. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're one of those like non-responder people, more than likely, um, that, that just doesn't have really noticeable responses to those things. And usually that has to do with some level of like uptake neuroactivity and um, maybe even digestibility in your gut. So hmm. it comes from like a lot of areas I and mean, we could totally just geek out on it. Just the one topic. Um, I'm trying not to like totally <laughs> go into like a, a heavier zone, but um yeah, that my first thought was, huh, I wonder how he responds to creatine. Oh, he doesn't. Okay, very well, sir. Or, or at least any sort of noticeable response, which that's that's kind of interesting and would lead to similar similar of our conversations. We can geek out it about it. Well, now, now I'm like really curious. But then like another thought in my head was like, with the way I am, like, is there a connection with drugs? Meaning like, because I remember in high school, the big thing was to like smoke weed like every single day. And I'm like okay, well, I'll give this a shot. And my first time I was like, I don't feel any different. 
And every time I did, I was like, I don't feel what my friends are feeling. So then I made like a self-experiment. And if my mom's listening, I'm totally sorry. But me and my buddy like skipped school one day, went to his house and literally smoked weed from like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. in a bathroom to hotbox it and like didn't feel anything. He was trashed out of his mind. And I'm like what the hell? This is not even worth it for me. I'm not going to ever. So you, you can't really get high from, you can't get high from marijuana. No, like, um, there's a, here's another story. Um, uh, this was maybe three, four years ago. I can't remember when, but one of my favorite artists, machine gun Kelly came to Vancouver and before his show, he tweeted out that he was going to do a free acoustic set at a dispensary downtown. And he said, whoever shows up, can come in and there's enough like room for 40 people my wife and I go and he supplied marijuana for everybody who came out and sure I did it went in Rome and then like my wife Angel she was just like wrecked out of her mind and I'm like what the fuck again same thing like that was a big like gap between high school and that time and I thought like oh maybe because I did so much I would actually feel this time and nothing and we were like taking the bus to the venue and she's just like laughing out of her mind and I'm like god babe just calm down <laughs> yeah I don't know it's weird well I know that in marijuana um for, I am not going to say this right I'm going to butcher this uh, so <laughs> let's not attack me um but it I believe it's pregnenolone or pregnenolonin pregnenolonin it's a hormone that uh, basically, I know that that's like the hormone that keeps people from being able to get high off of like THC, like the 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 kind of psychoactive part of like marijuana. Because I had I knew someone that couldn't do that, and um, I believe that is the hormone that is tied to it. I wonder if there is a tie between that and um, and, and maybe the other effects of of the stimulants that that you have. But that's really outside of my scope. But I, I do I do remember reading about that or, or learning about that, that that was a thing that happened. Um, so you're the guy to have around if <laughs> it can make you like a, a capable of super secret spy stuff, you know, like maybe yeah. they try to give you like the truth serum and it doesn't work, but you can pretend it does. And then when they're not looking, you, you know, you can finally get away. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming with you. And since you did that through smoke, um, it, it would mean that it would travel a different, it would travel a different manner than just your gut. So it's obviously, basically, it's your brain. So there's something, it's totally your brain. But you you obviously have some sort of uh, deadened signaling there, which I'm sounding completely unscientific. But <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 that's where I would go in my research. But um, I guess I would just kind of watch it since you don't have the warning mechanisms of yeah. like non-functioning uh, to not go too far. I wouldn't be doing any big lines of coke anytime <laughs> yeah. soon if I were you. Well, <laughs> just, like, just, it, it's interesting because like I was wondering if like there's probably more people like me. And then here in Vancouver, we had this huge like issue of like overdoses. And I was wondering if like there's people like me that, you know, they go take a cap of molly and they're like oh i'm not feeling it i'm gonna take another one i'm not feeling it. i'm gonna take another one and that third one is the one that takes them over because they're just not getting it like everybody else oh but- i'm absolutely sure that's what it is and and not to mention the horrible things that drugs are cut with these days you know yeah. back in the day when when i was doing drugs <laughs> when i was doing drugs and we were young um our the drugs that we got were pretty pretty good 
you know, I, I kind of hit the scene right before meth blew up, right? So meth wasn't really big when I was a kid and using drugs. So basically our drugs were like Coke, crack, and, and heroin and those kinds of things. I I saw meth around. I tried it a few times, but it was not the drug of choice. It was it was not, you know, basically the crack was the meth that we had around. Um, and everything was pretty it was pretty good. It was pretty, it was cut well. Everything was pretty not sketchy. Even the acid or the X that you would get your hands on, it was, it was all pretty, pretty good. You you didn't, you didn't come across too much stuff now. Oh my God. I wouldn't touch the heroin that comes in our city with like a 10 foot pole. Um, I wouldn't touch most things unless I really, really knew the dealer. I mean, I'm not doing it anyway, but I certainly wouldn't do it right now because Basically, everyone has their hands in it. Everyone's a home redneck ghetto pharmacist. Like it's, it's, you know, like everyone wants to be like a really bad version of Walter White, and they're just like going to Home Depot and just putting the stuff together. And it's like, oh, <laughs> so I'm gonna be honest with you, like this, you know, that like someone that just can't actually get high or, or can't sense the like the stopping mechanism of like no, you know, because my stopping, I'm very lucid. I stay very lucid. I stay very, even drinking, like I, it's very hard for me to get drunk. I basically just go from being completely coherent and awake to being asleep. I don't really have an in-between. You're not going to see me doing a lot of dumb things um, in between or anything like that. I'm just going to go and lay down and pass out. So that's me and drunk. Like if I'm drunk, I'm asleep. That's it. <laughs> because I something in my body is like, you need to sit down. No, you just need to go to sleep. That's it. Because you're going to be an idiot. Um, so my, my body won't allow me to do anything. Anything else, I'm just too aware. So even if I get high or if I smoke weed or do something like that, I feel not myself and I feel kind of disoriented, but I'm not, I'm not, I don't ever like allow myself to get like really lost in that euphoria. I just can't, I'm just too aware. So I feel stuff, but I don't actually, I don't get lost in it, but I definitely get high or I definitely get like disoriented. I just am sitting there. So like, be aware, be aware, be aware. And it's like, what's the fun in that? Um, so there's, there's that obviously, but you obviously seem like you, you have a a actual receptors that don't bind to things and and you don't get altered. So I definitely would be very careful if I were you with experimenting or dropping things because your body is obviously not giving off the warning signals of like stop (laughs) or like measure. Do you get drunk? Does Um, that happen? Yeah, I do get drunk. Like the last time was like my 21st birthday and that was pretty bad but like I know myself when I'm drinking like that next drink is going to take me over the top where I'm going to kind of pass out onto the bed but Mm. yeah but like I I, I get a benefit from drinking because it's like you know third beer I'm like okay a little lightheaded but I feel good yeah Yeah, so you do get that okay yeah yeah, well, then it must be like certain binding hormones specifically that, that they get identified with stimulants or things that have to do with like your stimulatory or, or psychoactive because there are, they do, they do hit different things, but this is not my area. Um, this is not my area, but I, I do know that they hit kind of different sections. So I would look at that research. I would. Because that that might be kind of interesting, and I would really, really, really be careful of the drugs that you do and the quantities that you do, since you obviously can't feel when you're overdoing it. So, is there any like tests or like I don't even know what's out there to kind of like figure out the hell's going on with an individual like me, to your knowledge? To my knowledge, yeah. 
No, but so. I'm going to be honest with you. This is where I can step aside and say, not my field. Um, yes. You know, it's it's not my field. I Like I said, that one hormone I can't even pronounce. Um, I've heard of that, um, that people do not uh, produce enough of that and, and, or, or they, t- they either produce too much of it or they don't produce enough of it. I'm not exactly sure. I know that caffeine can increase it. Um, so it would be interesting if you drink a lot of caffeine and then smoked weed. I mean, you could totally mess with yourself, but this is not a recommendation in any <laughs> yeah. way, shape or form by me. Um, honestly, I would probably go to an endo. That's where I'd go. Um, I'd probably go to an endo or a neurologist um, if you wanted, and you could get get some levels tested. I mean, universities might have fun with you um, and and kind of like play around. But I would, if if you were going to look at something, I'd get on PubMed and I'd try to find correlations between the kind of hormones and receptors that didn't bind or didn't respond. That's where I would look. I would I would go and kind of look in that zone and then see if you could find any like connected dots. Um, and I'm curious myself, but I've never really, I've never really looked into it. Uh, that's this is really, it's not even basic knowledge. It's really like, it's really, really beyond that. I, I, I probably sound like a neuroscientist is listening to this and they're like, shut, the, shut up, <laughs> shut the fuck up. And I'm like, no, okay, I, I get it, I get it. Um, so I'm gonna shut up. But that's if I was curious and investigating it, that's where I would go. That's where I would start typing my fingers to read okay. about things. But, you know, yeah. like, that was probably the best answer I got with this whole coffee thing to the people <laughs> that I've asked. They're, like, most I, are I, like, yeah. I know safe limits. I mean, I know <laughs> I know stuff like that. I know it in regards to research. But as far as non-responders and, like, what actually fires in the – like, because this is the thing. I mean, this is, like, a good example of how much we don't know. And, and uh, for example, I talk about this a lot with, like, cancer research. Um the complications of what you're getting into is is like that next level, right? Like I know upper limits. I've read the research on it. I've read what people said. Now it's like going into that deeper level. There's some things I understand a deeper level on. Like for example, if we're talking like cancer research or what have you, when people use ketogenic diets or they use like certain diets to say, oh, this is going to treat cancer or this is going to cure cancer or fasting is going to cure cancer, all these kinds of things. If they understood just how many different levels and deeper angles that you have to dive into to just one one kind of a different cell in one particular type of cancer because you know there's not just breast cancer there's so many different types of breast cancer and there's not just pancreatic cancer there's not just you know brain cancer or tumors or these kinds of things like there are so many different ones and each of them could have different responses or we can't even like find the exact origin point or why or all these things so to say hey don't do this and that's going to cure cancer or do this and that's going to cure cancer. It's about the equivalent of me saying to you, um, oh, well, since, you know, you don't respond to caffeine, go ahead and do a bunch of lines of Coke because that means <laughs> that you're going to be fine. And then you have a heart attack and die. So, <laughs> you know, it's 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 kind of that level. Like it's it, there's all these kind of different kind of intersections and weaving fields and there's precursors and there's 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 androgen reactions and and you have no idea idea like what's what's going to jumpstart something and what's the gut and what's the brain and what what breaks through this barrier here and what doesn't there and it's a really really deep big world that there's one person that studies one section of it as their expertise and combines with other people um so i 
I'd be an idiot to not say what an idiot I am on the subject. Um, and, and, and to say that you definitely need to talk to someone other than me on it, but I can tell you what I've read about upper safer limits of caffeine intake and, 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 and about like, you know, kind of what the equivalents of, of those things are in a cup of coffee or in a green tea. <laughs> so that, that's, that's kind of where my level stops, but it's a good lesson for us all listening, trying to be, um, off the hand neuroscientists where we don't belong because we, we don't belong there. Um, we, you know, so I, I'm not just going to read a book and be like, yeah, neuroscientists for the win. All right. Well, it was good though. Um, I want to get into like questions we got online. Cause like one of my pet peeves is when I listen to a podcast and like I'll enter a question and it never gets answered. Sure. So, Spit, uh, we'll fire it. Yes. Yeah. Quick fire round. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go with Instagram first. So Gabriel asks, uh, curious about which are the healthiest, uh, sources of meat. Does it matter whether it's caged? How much of a difference if it, uh, if it does matter and things of that nature, first time listener, love all your IG content. Okay. Um, there are some minor differences. I'm not going to say that they're not how statistically significant they are is the one that's kind of up for debate. There's obviously ethical differences. Um, there, you know, it's, I always say it's the, it's the relevance to giving a prisoner a clean place to stay or, you know, keeping them like, uh, you know, in their own urine, basically like that's just all the difference. It really is. They're still a prisoner. Um, so, my short answer to that is, um, we'll look at it like this. Um, how you cook the meat actually affects it more than where the meat comes from. How about that? That's a really easy way of looking at it. Um, because, um, where the meat comes from usually does not have too much of a difference. And I'm not talking about cut of meat, like the cut of meat from different parts of the body of the animal is going to be very different for protein content, fat content, but what they're more ethically is like farm to table. I personally ethically and emotionally like to support free range as much as possible. Of course I do. Um, but being logical and scientific with my answer, um, there's not a big variation in difference and people that kind of obsess over those minute differences or statistical differences. Um, there's a lot of single case studies versus a large middle analysis studies um, that have looked at it. And in the larger reviews, we see kind of a not as larger statistical di difference that makes a difference. Um, the uptake of what you actually get from the animal is going to be less and less based upon how do you cook it or um, how long it's cooked and things like that. So you could be buying, for example, free range meat, but if you cook it like incredibly well done because you don't want an ounce of pink, you're going to get less nutrients than if you uh, could get a little bit more on the medium rare side. So, um, the cooking can actually affect things more than the actual purchase place. So I'll leave it at that and say that if you want to do it ethically, um, if you want to promote ethical farming and things like that, which even that can be a shade, a gray area, then then where you're getting it from kind of matters. Um, as far as your body uptake and things like that, uh, there's, there's not many places that we see too large of a difference. Um, fish can be kind of one of the larger ones from a lot of the research that I've seen. And even that it's still not that statistically dramatic, um, indifference. It just usually is a nicer environment for the animals, which is for me, I like, but for science, we don't, we don't see too, too much to make it worth the cost. Um, and again, watch how you cook it. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, so next question, you kind of answered it on Facebook, but from Sarah Wilson, 
She mm. asked, in your educated opinion, is the keto diet absolute crap? <laughs> um, well, um, for the time mark of those who are playing along to get a free book, um, <laughs> for keto bros, <laughs> um, this, this, can, this, this can be a great diet. Um, a, a balanced point of view, it, it's a diet, and I will say that any diet, be it vegan, be it be it uh, paleo, be it whatever you want to call it, um, blue diet, uh, Mediterranean diet, so on and so forth. If it allows you to eat and maintain energy balance and have a healthy macronutrient profile to your needs, then yay, have fun at it. No judgment to each their own. Um, for a mass population diet, I don't like it. Um, it's restrictive for one of a macronutrient, uh, which is carbohydrates. And um, I don't believe in overly restricting carbohydrates, especially vegetables and especially in performing athletes as well, and which all of us to some degree be active in our lifestyle. I don't like that, but I really mostly don't like ketogenic diets because um, in research and in anecdote, we see that people are notoriously um, good at overestimating their daily energy and underestimating their daily energy input, meaning that they think they burn more and they think they eat less. So um, fat is our most dense caloric uh, macronutrient. It's depending on statistics and what you look at it somewhere between seven to nine gram, uh, nine calories per gram. Um, it can be lower, it can be less depending upon where it comes from, TEFs associated with it, et cetera. We know that, but um, it's still dense. Uh, you basically, you can get a lot of it um, caloric wise and not so much satiation wise. So if you do a ketogenic diet and you come from doing a regular diet, you're going to have a decrease in glycogen. Um, you're going to have a decrease in food volume. Those two things can equate to anywhere from two pounds to 15 pounds or more, depending on how obese or uh, large your diet was before in, in food volume or carbohydrates and all that. And it looks as if that you've lost a significant amount of weight. Um, that And most people equate weight with body fat, which we know that that's not the same thing. So looking at it like that, that uh, you can see that someone's thinking, great, ketogenic diet's awesome. In a week, I lost this amount of weight. This is fantastic. I can't believe I never did this before. And I'm eating lots of fat and meat products, and that's great. Usually stalls hit for people um, within the first month. And, um, and they find that they're having a hard time kind of getting past those points. And sometimes the weight will go up a little bit because they mix it with like heavy training and things like that. And eventually what ends up happening is that the individuals will go back to eating a carbohydrate-based diet or regular food volume and they'll balloon back up. And a lot of them end up weighing more than when they started because they were just pounding down fat. Now, fat's not bad, but it's really hard to convert carbohydrates into fat. It's really hard to convert protein into fat. What we do is we we store fat as fat. And in a regular diet, you know, people are like, well, I don't understand, you know, I'm eating a diet high in carbs. Um, I don't even have that much fat, but I've still stored fat. Well, you will store all the fat that you've taken in. And there is a process to store carbohydrates as fat, but it's really hard and you have to be really eating a very crap diet to do it. So, in short, um, it's just not logical. <laughs> it's not a very logical diet. Um, it, it's also associated with a lot of charlatans and snake oil salesmen and supplement companies and things like that. Um, and the basis of it was born out of really trying to help people that had seizures, epilepsy, and things like that. And again, 
just because we have a small amount of data that says something might help someone with a very small population of an issue, which we're not even entirely sure it's going to do that, it does not mean that it's going to help you with fat loss. And I continue to say publicly, I don't know why we strive to try to find the people that have the greatest success in the smallest group of something instead of trying to find the people with the greatest success in the larger group of something. And we definitely see a larger group of success with um, continents and and. and and things that use, um, sorry, countries that use uh, higher carbohydrate, high, higher carbohydrate intakes, or at least moderate carbohydrate intakes, mixed with whole foods and proteins, fish, things like that. So that's the larger areas where we see success versus smaller areas, and I I tend to go that way. So that's my short answer of why I do not think that it's a very good diet for the majority or masses of people. It's too easy to mess up the energy balance and it's too easy to overeat and have negative repercussions. And it also lacks a bigger balance of macronutrients, which I also don't love. Even though technically carbohydrates are not an essential macronutrient, I do find that they're a non-essential essential macronutrient and that we do derive a lot of good from them. So that is my answer. Sarah Wilson, again. Um, it's, it's interesting because I listened to a podcast, I can't remember the doctor's name, but he's a huge advocate of the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting and some other experimental stuff. But he was saying like, most people get the keto diet so wrong, like to actually know if you're in ketosis, you need to be taking blood samples. And he was even saying that he noticed in self-experimentation, if he ate a certain vegetable, that would just push him out of ketosis. So all the people out there, they're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to like dip all my food in lard and start baking, (laughs) like cooking in bacon fat every day, probably or not in ketosis. No, I mean... For one, it's actually kind of a specific diet. And it's funny because I saw, I I put up that, I I contributed to that article. And then I looked at the comments in that article that I put up on Facebook. And they're like, oh, well, I do this like variation of a keto diet. And it's like a whole food diet with meat and fat because that's not keto. Um, You can't really do a variation of a keto diet in a very large scale, you know? And if you want to use it for weight control management or energy balance, it's even harder. Um, It's actually kind of a complicated diet to do, even if you are going to do it. Um, And not complicated as in it's it's completely ridiculous to understand, but most people have a hard time even eyeballing calories, let alone peeing on sticks um, or making sure that that they're hitting like a certain level of fat and protein intake and very little to no carbs. And I'm, I'm not saying that, um, there can't be some success with it, but I just haven't seen a reason why in research. I just haven't seen it. Um, anecdotally, I've seen a lot of reasons why to build followers (laughs) and to, to drive towards eating in that kind of manner, um, for your listeners, because it's extreme, uh, And that's great and everything. And sometimes doing extreme things does lead to positive change. But uh, we're just not seeing any sort of logical reason to why to do it. Um, And it it also doesn't give you a lot of density in food intake. And satiation is is really important. It's odd in social situations. I mean, don't get me wrong. You can definitely go to the party and just load up on the Christmas ham and just call it a day. And that's that's great. You know, I mean, it's fine. You can do that. Um, Avoid the sweets. Load up on the ham. Nothing bad about that. If you want to do it, go for it. 
I also want to say to not be too biased that a lot of the you know people are like, oh, eating all that meat is going to be bad for you, et cetera. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't. You know, unless you have specific health problems or specific issues with that, then that's not going to be an issue. It's you can get away with it for sure. But um, it's really easy, especially, and and I find that the biggest proponents of these diets are men, larger men, um, in uh, or or more fit men in the health industry, or oddly enough, um, kind of unhealthy seeming individuals in in a weird fan club group and I'm, I'm not going to name any sort of names, but it is kind of strange and they all do have similar symptoms. You know, you notice they have very thinning hair kind of bug eyes, um, a, a, a bad tone to their skin. It does. Con- and they're, they're overweight. Um, and, and they, they still continue to do this diet. And I, I, I don't know why, because it's like, it's obviously not working very well for your health, um, or for appearance or for your weight control. So, and that's not judging. It's just, I don't get it. It's like, just throw in a vegetable for God's sakes, man, like just <laughs> let it go. Um, so there's, you know, so if you're really extreme and you can really control these things and you understand the energy balance to that diet, because it's, energy balance might change based upon a diet, but it's still there, then that's great. Like, and if you can make it work for you, that's great. But I, I just don't think it's a popular, like a mass population diet that makes sense. And I don't really think it makes sense period versus some other diets. There's just other diets I think that are much more logical for training and for, um, weight control and for satiation and for mental health. I just, I think there's more things that check boxes than keto, but Again, if it floats you, but I mean, it's the same thing with vegan. Um, you know, there are better diets than a vegan diet. And and I say this as an almost vegan. Um, so uh, there are better things that ticks boxes than a vegan diet. However, emotionally or mentally or whatever, if that's what you want to do and that's what floats your boat, great. But it just, you have to be aware of the repercussions and, and um, the side effects and the energy balance changes and things like that. So, yeah. All right. Um, so the next question, I actually really like this one. It was from Ozzy. Any advice on gently nudging a loved one to adopt a healthier eating habits? And I think this yeah. one is tough for a lot of people. Uh, it, it is. And, um, you know, that, you know what they say, which is what I say, which when I'm quoting myself, um, <laughs> you don't speak nutrition or politics at the table um, because it's true. Um, you, you really don't. But uh, I, I really have found that, that uh, over all my years of people asking me, because people do not like when a personal trainer or a nutritionist or a health and fitness writer, whatever you want to call me uh, in a week, come to dinner. They don't like it. And it doesn't help by the way, that I act, I have actual allergy issues sometimes, or, uh, you know, or the fact that I ethically choose and I'm like, I'm a, I'm just, I always try to cook so that people don't have to worry about dealing with me. Um, so, um, I understand, um, but one, do not ever be preachy. It does not help anybody. Um, it doesn't help anything. Do not be the person in the room that that's, that's quoting some sort of information or telling somebody something is bad or something's not good for them or, Hey, you know, bread's bad for you. Right. Or, Hey, you know, carbs are bad or, Hey, you know, meat's bad. And just don't, don't do that. Don't be that person. Stay away from that. That's tip number one. Nobody likes to be preached out about anything be it religion or their food or um, a movie they like. They don't like your opinion. And if they didn't ask for it, don't tell them. That's kind of really just, that's good life advice, actually. So <laughs> don't don't speak when not spoken to about those topics. That's number one. 
Um, number two, be a really good billboard for the healthy lifestyle, not in an obnoxious way and not in a way that's making people want to knock you off a pedestal all the time because that's fun. But in a way that's just is like, yeah, no, I live my life. I do my thing. I seem to be a happy-go-lucky person or whatnot. People may ask you questions. And if they have those questions, then you can impart your wisdom of, of, of what it is that you do. Three, and the most important, and what I talked about in a thread, is most of the time people associate health food or dieting or a healthy lifestyle or eating well with restriction. That's obvious. We know why. We watch all the shows like Biggest Loser or, or people coming into your homes or tr- personal trainers or dietitians coming into homes saying, oh my God, you can't eat this. This is bad. Make sure that you you eat you know fresh kale with no salt and no butter and, and, or, um, things like that, which is why I think, by the way, something like a ketogenic diet becomes popular because it, it, it's basically a diet that, that emotionally and socially, uh, attacks the eighties and nineties fat hate craze, you know? So I, I do understand the cycle of it. Um, but two mongs don't make a right in my opinion. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where I think that a lot of people think in order to get healthy, you have to have limitations, you have to restrict, and you can't eat anything that's enjoyable. And, you know, my diet is not like that. Even though I don't eat meat, it's not because of a health reason. It's just because I, you know, I'm, I'm a big baby. And, um, but all the food that I eat, I use salt, I use butter. Um, I, I use sugar, I use car, I don't use any substitutes. Um, the only thing that I, a few substitutes I might use is like, I really like mayonnaise, for example, and Dukes like mayonnaise tastes pretty damn good. So I can have more of it, um, than just regular mayonnaise stuff like that. There's a few things like that, but for the most part, I eat the real deal and I cook the real deal. And so when I make food for people, and they know that I'm a trainer or that I'm in the industry and things like that. They're like, oh, God. And they're like, wait, this actually has flavor. This tastes good. You can see the fat. You can see the salt. You can taste the salt. You can taste the seasonings. You know, I eat real good whole food. My my favorite recipe books are are they're, they have nothing to do with like a diet. I don't buy recipe books based upon a diet and I don't cook based upon a diet. I cook based upon what makes whole food taste good. That's what I do. And I think that it's really important to get into that avenue and mindset of things because you can eat, eat healthy and it tastes good. And you, when you do that, you can afford more starch or you can afford a little bit of wine on the side or what have you and, and not be too overly indulgent, of course, beyond healthy levels, but you, you can really enjoy food. So if you're making food for loved ones, you know, and I have so many clients that'll come to me and they'll be like, well, I don't, I cook for my family and this has always been a problem for me. I'm like, cook for your family. Keep cooking for your family. Your portions are going to be smaller. Your activity is going to be higher a little bit to make up for these kinds of things. You're going to have to sacrifice in some places, but go right ahead and cook for your family because most people come to me and they absolutely know what healthy eating is. They understand portions. They understand protein and vegetables and, and a little bit of starch or fruit. There's no one that comes to me in which that just is complete, you know, pop tarts and hot pockets and, um, you know what I mean? Like people understand it. They get it. It's not that they don't understand it. They just, they either don't know how to facilitate it in their own home, meaning that they don't know how to cook for themselves. And so they just, they just go for whatever quick thing they find. And maybe the best that they do is they do lean cuisines or like uh, stuff that, that has a little bit of vegetables and a frozen food that they cook up or, um, 
they they don't cook well. <laughs> they don't make it taste good at all, even if they try to do it. And it's really important. It's it, it's glossed over a lot, but um, just even understanding how to just basically cook or roast some vegetables and or to to use slow. That's why slow cookers become so popular. Or why air fryers become such a thing because and people can understand how to cook and people actually enjoy it. So really, cook. It, it may seem kind of basic, bitch, but cook really good food. Cook really good whole food and don't. Don't be afraid to, you know, even like fry it up or saute a little bit or, or throw in, you know, a little bit of combination of, of, uh, of baked and starch and fried and, and buttered and salt and pepper. Just use whole foods to do it. And you might think that's kind of involved and it is, you know, which is why you can get into like bulk cooking for the week. Trying to use slow cookers when you can, um, keeping things simple with like stews and and having like the the bulk of like your product being in there, and you can have some like bread on the side. This is good healthy eating. I I you know we don't have to become so extreme about it and um, embrace that kind of lifestyle. And then you're gonna be like, okay, well I'm doing that, but I'm not losing weight. Well, you're at maintenance. And it's cool. At least you know you're at maintenance. Now you got to cut back. Or if you can't cut back because it's not that much food, you have to move a little bit more in the day. And it doesn't mean you have to do crazy hit sessions. Just make sure you're low-grade active. And I kid you not, most of my before and afters come. Not one person's weighing or measuring their food. Not one person is doing any sort of specific aggressive cardio training. They have excellent fat loss, great muscle retention, no atrophying during their, their fat loss phases. And their lives have not dramatically changed that much other than they're just not neurotic anymore. And that's like probably 60 to 70% of my before and afters is what they come from. It's not extreme crazy stuff. And they actually learn how to do it for the rest of their life, which to me is a lot more cool and makes a lot more sense than tying on to some sort of fad diet that takes usually a lot of your money. Awesome. That was really well said. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I wanted to get into like a different type of question and I keep forgetting to ask my guests this, but if you had to choose your spirit animal, what would it be oh. and why? Oh, yeah. damn it, man. You gave me no preparation for this whatsoever. <laughs> I know. What the fuck? <laughs> God. Oh, I could totally kill this too. I mean, like, do I go to like Patronus zone and like just absolutely <laughs> yeah. embrace? Now, technically, my Patronus was a white mare. That's what my Patronus was, was it? Um, but uh, my spirit animal, you know, um, it's, <laughs> I'm such a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> All of the ones that come to mind though are predators, <laughs> like nice. really aggressive, like like herbivores, um, like the but they really are. Um, I I I will be honest with you. I I do think the first thing that does kind of pop into my, I I am very much like a dog. Um, I I think it's kind of boring and domesticated, but I I really love. I really love walks. I really love cuddling. I really love <laughs> not having to hunt and having things like gave to like given to me, um, and and cuddles and people thinking I'm cute just by like wagging my tail. I I think I I think I'm a dog, dude. And I love dogs too. And and I and I really associate and relate to dogs. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I, I think I am kind of a dog, uh, even though they are meat eaters or like lazy meat eaters, um, for the most part. Um, they're they're gonna go for the trash. Also, I'm, there's a bit of raccoon in me. I'm definitely <laughs> ornery, a little bit 
rebellious. Um, there was a bit of a, a bit of a thievery in my youth, um, you know, when I was a rambunctious teen. So, um, so maybe, maybe something like a, a dog or a raccoon, basically anything that, that has a cute Instagram page, um, where people are dressing them in clothes or really like animals in clothes. So, yeah, I think that's kind of my spirit animal, very loyal, likes hugs. And I still get excited when the people I see come through the door and I'm like, hey, you came home, you survived. I thought you were never coming back. I mean, I really am like that. So I think I'm kind of a dog mostly though. Yeah, awesome. that's my spirit animal, which is, you know, I'm probably never going to be successful because I didn't say something like a, a, a hawk or a, <laughs> something or a cool. Yeah, like something, something really badass that like, you know, it just really dominates because it's just so alpha. I, I'm an, I'm just, I'm a mutt. I'm a house mutt. That's probably my spirit animal, but that's what I am. And it's true. Keeping it real. Nice. <laughs> um, here's another good one. Um, what kind of advice would you give your 20 year old self and why? <laughs> <laughs> Proofread. Proofread. Okay. Proofread. <laughs> no, um, no, um, there's two 20 year old me's. There's 25 and before old me, and then there's 25 and after me, which basically pre-25 me was was a complete lost basket case that had no idea what they were doing with their life and um, concerned more with partying and lifestyle and dying young and living hard and all those kinds of things um, rather than seeing any sort of future. So I would say to kind of pre-25 me, um, you have a future. There is one that exists. You might want to plan for it and don't destroy your body as much as humanly possible because you will pay for it when you hit your 30s and it's awesome. Um, so I would say that to, to pre-25 me. To post-25 me, I would say... <laughs> There is a reason that the world travels a formal path, and you may not travel that formal path or understand that that path, and um, you may have even been robbed of that path, but uh, you need to understand why the world travels that path. So I think a lot of my most painful lessons um, in adulthood or hardest ones that have come. Cause I've always understood sociability. I've always understood people like interacting with people and hanging out with people and making friends and, and being close to people that luckily for me, and I say that as a blessing, it's never been hard. Um, but I have not always understood and I still struggle sometimes to understood the working world, the formal world, how the nine to five them us kind of thing government, the, the way that the world works, the, the hierarchy of it all. Um, I've always struggled to understand why and how, and, and I've always kind of railed against it and being put in it. And what I, what I've come to understand is that you don't have to necessarily be in it per se, and you don't necessarily have to, to do everything that they says. And then there's always going to be this, I'm the kid in the emperor's new clothes in me, you know? Um, it's like, he's naked. I don't understand. What are y'all doing? He's naked. Like, I don't, I am that kid. Um, but the thing about being that kid is that what they don't tell you in that book that they celebrate the kid calling out the king for being naked is that you get kicked being that kid a lot. Um, because the world works in a certain kind of way you don't have to work with it. But you have to understand how it works. You have to understand the moving parts and the gears and how to play the game. Honestly, you have to understand how to play the game and why it's that way. And uh, I think I would have saved myself a lot of trouble 
and a lot of heartache if I just would have understood that and gotten it and not been so rebellious against it for one, the sake of being rebellious, um, and two, just because I didn't know any better. So, um, that, that would be my advice to my kind of 25 plus year old self to say, um, you need to understand the cogs and the machines and how they work and formalities and red tape and all these types of things and the hows and the whys. And then you can do things your own way and play your game the own way a little bit because, um, unless you're magically gifted with looking incredible or having tons of money or just being absolutely batshit crazy um, and not caring at all, unless you have those kind of X factors, you you kind of, you can still be unique and special and do your own thing and, and play things your own way, but you really do still have to understand the game, I think. I think most of us have to understand the game. Even if we don't play it, we have to understand it. So that's the other advice I'd give. That's really good life uh, advice right there. That was really good. Yeah, <laughs> sir. Um, yes, it's a continued lesson that I learned <laughs> and has continued. Uh, so very last question. Where can people find you online? Do you have any projects coming out and anything you want to promote you can plug away? I do. Um, I... I, I'm pulling all of my books to do like a kind of relaunch update thing. Uh, it's going to be like, a, I'm not, I'm not trying to be like at any minute. I literally don't know when I'm going to do it because uh, in order to do it, I have to put up the kind of we're gone. We're coming back pages, you know? Um, and I don't know literally when those I'm gone or coming back pages are going to go up because I have to work with my tech designers and myself too. Um, so I'm pulling everything and I'm redoing all my audiobooks um, because I've been updating the PDFs and everything, you know, and like all kind of my, because they're ebooks and things like that. So, um, but my audiobooks haven't really updated much. And so now the PDFs and audiobooks are getting a little disjointed or a lot disjointed. So um, I'm, I'm going to redo all the audiobooks. I'm going to redo the kind of new updates to the books, n- new information that's come out, new research that's come out in both of them. And I'm going to do new editions of them. Um, and I'm also working on a new book. I'm not going to release the title yet because the title kind of gives away what it is. Um, but I am doing a new book that, that, that's going to come out soon. It may or may not be be professionally or publishing house released. I have a few that may or may not be in that kind of a thing, which is nice and very validating um, and great. But um, but uh, so that's going to kind of happen. So in the meantime, you won't be able to get a lot of my books or information or things like that. But I still have my membership site that I do and we do challenges. And right now we're about 200 strong. Um, uh, and there's a Facebook group and things like that. You can be 201 if you want or 204. I'm not exactly sure the number right now. Um, but we do that and, and we go through challenges and there's a course and all that kind of stuff. And that's currently being updated every week. So, um, but you can find all that by going to leapel.com. Everything has a link or takes you somewhere. Basically, I'm, I decided that I'm not for the most part going to be talking about things on Facebook anymore or releasing some sort of random rant or, you know, when the inspiration hits me. But instead, I'm just, I'm just going to go back to just writing the articles and pointing to them because I'm, I'm not good at really facilitating conversation anyway um, on Facebook. I always no, I mean, I'm so bad at social media. Like I end up leaving for a day and then people like commented. I'm like, oh, is it weird that I comment now like three days later on like a comment? <laughs> like, is that strange? It's probably just better if I just 
point to an article and let people talk about it. And if they want to talk about it, they can talk about it. And I can put all my magic there where it's actually logged instead of being lost in like the sea of old posts that no one's going to see. Right. So um, I'm going to start doing that. And, and I've been getting involved. Um, I'll plug a little bit for this uh, Stephanie Lee. She's been kind of coaching me and she's an amazing editor. Um, and she's been helping me get my work out to, to other people and, and editors and, and people like that. So I'm kind of working on with her as a mentor and as a course guide, uh, and she's helping me reach out to people. Um, so I'm just, I'm kind of getting more into the writing and getting better at writing as always or trying to, and, um, and kind of going down that avenue and just continuing going there and trying to reach the masses, um, and just grow my audience and, and keep going from there. Um, and it's been a very productive year and I, I feel like not to be all cliche, but man, am I going to kill 2018? <laughs> but, but I think it'll be, I think 2018 will be a very good year. Awesome. So thank you so much for all your time. This was amazing. Thank you as always for having me and being such a great interviewer. <laughs> all right. So that's going to wrap up episode 98. And again, if you missed part one, it is in the show notes, go check it out and listen to that episode. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this and let me know if there is anyone you want me to interview or, you know, a topic you want me to talk about during my solo interviews, reach out to me on social media. And while you're at it, share, share, share this podcast as I've been saying each and every week so I can grow this thing to reach more people and this make Cut the Shit, Get Fit one of the best podcasts in the world. Thank you very much, and we will see you guys next week.